Marlon Ben Mir and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Dr. Eddie Friedman, Director of the Center for Strategic Dialogue at Netanya Academic College and a researcher of communication and discourse with emphasis on conflict, studies, and public diplomacy. In this episode, we discuss the upcoming Israeli elections and the potential for progress in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Well, I, I, you know, the election's coming this September. Where do you think this is going? Um, well, one of the questions with the upcoming elections, and this was ultimately the question with the last election, which was just a few months ago, was who can form a government? Right. Not necessarily who's going, which party's going to take the most seats. And it looks like right now with the current constellation of what's going on, I don't see a situation where Netanyahu will be able to form a government. Likud may get the most amount of seats, but because Kaholavan, the blue-white party mm -hmm. led by Gantz and Lapid, has said they won't sit in a Netanyahu government. And do you think that's categorical? I think so. I think it would be... Even if he gives up his premiership? No, yeah. They won't sit in a Netanyahu government. They oh. would sit in a Likud government. That's my, and I'm, that is, if he say, say would agree himself. to sit down as a defense minister, will they will still resist mm, that? That's an interesting question. Would he, if he wouldn't be prime minister, but would be a different minister, they would probably... I mean, he may not way. be willing, because his, his uh, ego would not allow yeah. him to do that. <laughs> that's beside the point. Yeah. But I'm just trying to play the various yeah. scenarios, yes. It's... It's possible that if he was to say, I won't be prime minister, but I'll be another minister, maybe defense or foreign minister, then uh, Kaholavan would form a, a coalition. It may, they may want to have a rotating prime minister if they have close to the same amount of yeah. seats, which yeah. is entirely possible. Um, the other issue is Avigdor Lieberman's party, and he was the one who basically prevented a yes, last right. government from right. forming. Uh, ostensibly because of the issue of the Haredi draft, yeah. but that's not the real reason, right? That's he, right. He, Besides that issue, what do you think uh, uh, his position was and why? Um, Lieberman is an ultimate real politic politician. I don't think he really has positions. Um, I think that he now sees that what we can say is that Netanyahu, uh, he could smell blood. He oh, could okay. see that he has the power to be the kingmaker. Uh -huh. And he could see that an issue that is very much at the top of the agenda in Israel is not necessarily the, the ultra-Orthodox or Haredi draft, but just the amount of power that yeah, the ultra-Orthodox and even like some of the more extreme national religious uh, have over a secular or non-religious society. Uh -huh. And he saw a moment where he could basically have a lot of power in terms of determining the future of the right wing in Israel. I mean, he okay. views himself in a way as the, uh, the person who could inherit the right wing from Netanyahu. Whether that's right. true or not, I don't know. He may eventually come back to Likud. Um, <clears throat> 
but he he could smell blood. In the past, he's never had a problem sitting in coalitions with ultra-Orthodox parties. Right, right. But he he could sense that this was uh, an issue that would garner public support. And I think to him, sitting in a very similar coalition as he did in the last government and being the defense minister was not something that was really interesting to him anymore. He's aiming higher. Of course. And yes. he also has a personal vendetta against Netanyahu. Yes. So he well, there was never a love affair between the two sides, let's put it this way. They what, sorry? There they, was never a love affair. There was never affair. a love affair. <laughs> Lieberman used to work for Netanyahu. Yes. But, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, so it's very hard to say. I, I don't think Netanyahu will be able to form the next government. Um, but I also don't think that Kahol will get the same amount of seats, the 35 or 36 seats that they got in the last election. Well, I think why, why do you think that? Well, they're, 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 the effect of being new, the new kid on the block, the, 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 the sort of uh, the freshness has worn. And you can see some that because it's this very, it's a centrist party that doesn't really have, also doesn't really have clear positions, there are differences between the more right flank of the party, like Moshe Bougi Alon and his people, versus Yair Lapid and uh, right. others, we've been more further to the left. Benny Gantz himself tries to be as vague as possible. And these kind of vague, what we call in Hebrew, mamlachti, which yes, means sort yes. of statist messages, yeah. can only work for so long. Right. But don't, don't you think the failure of Netanyahu to form a government? might, as I says, might sway some Israelis to say, well, it's time for change and yeah. maintain the strength or the possibility at least for Kahol Laban to... I think, uh, that, I think that people will leave Likud. In my opinion, I mean, I'm no, I'm no campaign... Uh, where would they uh, go? That's the point. I, I don't think they'll go to Kahol Laban. Yeah. I where think, I think Likud and Kahol Laban will go down. I think they'll go to Lieberman to some extent. Uh -huh. Some secular right-wingers who are fed up with Netanyahu will go to Lieberman. I think some will go to Barak's new party. He's uh -huh. he has a lot of energy. He's he's doing a good job, I think, right now in terms of being kind of much more, um, much more direct and much more angry in a way than than Benny Gantz. And I think he'll get he'll get some votes. And uh, on the right of Netanyahu, some will some will go to those parties as well. Uh, there are several of them, right? But some of these so smaller if, if you were to predict today, who would have the largest number of members of the Knesset? Would it be Kahol Avayu or Likud? From as you see it at this juncture. Yeah, uh, I think they'll be very close. I think they'll both be around we'll thirty. Close, I, I think they'll both be. They were both around thirty-five oh. last time. I think they'll both be around thirty this time, uh, and that. The other votes will go to. So you still, Lieberman will be the kingmaker. I think so Lieberman will be the kingmaker, yeah. and I think there's a possibility that it could be uh, Kaholavan, uh, Lieberman, and Likud, without Netanyahu as prime minister. I mean, mm -hmm. one thing to take into account is that Netanyahu's pre-trial hearing is just, I think, three, two, two or three weeks after the election. Uh -huh. And this is the period when all the coalition talks are going right. on, right? right? So that will weaken him. I mean, I, 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 I anticipate, it's amazing that it hasn't happened until now, yeah. but I anticipate that there will be some kind of internal rebellion. In but let's just go back to, for a minute to Lieberman. 
If he's aiming higher than he was, after all, defense minister, and he certainly has ambition to be like most Israeli to prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> who said that we in Israel are seven million people, like seven million who tried who would like to be prime ministers? <laughs> <laughs> so in that case, you know, if he, from your perspective, he's still going to be the kingmaker, so to speak. Will and he would he serve? With a government led by gangs, and uh, yeah, do you think would. so? He doesn't have a problem uh, being with the. I mean, he was in an Ulmerit government. Yeah. About ten years ago, right? That right. didn't have any right wing. He uh-huh. was the most right wing party in that coalition, yeah. right? I think, like you said, he's a real politic. You know, he yeah. goes with, um, with 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 times, and the time is changing. He's yeah. going to go with the, with the current. So he to speak. he yeah. built himself on hatred of Arabs, yeah, and it only could take him so far. And now he's trying to rebuild himself on hatred of ultra ultra orthodox. Yeah, it's working right now. Yeah, for the time being. <laughs> yeah, until he changes his mind again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you know what is puzzling about this whole thing? None of them are talking about in serious way about the Israeli-Palestinian yeah. conflict. Yeah. And, and where that's going to go. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, regardless of the consequence, Kahol Roman is not talking about no. any plans for the Palestinians. Yeah. Netanyahu certainly is Nothing, not interested yeah. in talking about that. Uh, now, the, the Barak factor here. Yeah. The Barak factor. Barak is basically saying we, we ought to be drawing lines and say this is, here was, this is ours. Uh, how much of his uh, efforts in this in this regard would change him from your perspective the, the the political dynamics? Let me let me give you an example that I think will answer that question. Um, this I think three days ago or four days ago, the education minister, Rabbi Rafi Peretz, was interviewed. And he fell into a trap that was laid to him by a journalist. <laughs> and he said some, he said two, ter- he said two very uh, controversial things. And only one of them caused a huge political storm. Yeah. The two things he said, the first was that he believes that, that homosexuals, that gay and lesbian youth can undergo conversion therapy. <laughs> right? Which I mean, he didn't say they should be forced to, but he uh, said... Yeah. So this caused a huge storm, and many are calling for his resignation. Now, he said something else that, in my mind, is maybe equally problematic, but it's been totally ignored. The other thing he said was that Israel should uh, annex the entire West Bank without granting rights, civil rights, to the Palestinians. And he didn't, didn't, when the journalist said this is an apartheid situation, he basically agreed that that's what should be. So this illustrates the fact that the media did not pick, on that, pick up on that at all, but did pick up on the issue of, uh, of this conversion therapy, illustrates how, to what extent the Palestinian issue is not on the radar for the Israeli public. And it's very unfortunate, I say, I think it's the most strategic issue that Israel has to face. It's been the most right. strategic issue for over 50 years, yeah. since 1967, but most of the parties, even the more left-wing party, like Barak will talk about it, and Amir Peretz, the head of the Labour Party, has a very detailed peace plan, an impressive peace peace plan. Amir Peretz, yeah. Amir Peretz, yeah. He's had this for years, but he's not talking about it very much. And even the more far-left party, Meretz, is more talking about 
kind of civilian issues of secular Israel. So the it's not on the radar, and maybe I, I I don't think Barack is trying to necessarily bring it back onto the radar because it's an issue that's thought of as it could cause sort of let's say soft right Israelis to shy away from voting for whichever party. Yeah. Um, this I, I I wrote a book um, that was published about two years ago uh, called Israeli Discourse and the West Bank dialectics of normalization and estrangement. Now, I'm not trying to do a plug, but I'm just using it <laughs> yeah. to say that what this book talks about is that the current discourse in Israel, you have two, two parallel discourses. One is normalizing the situation in the West Bank, which is basically saying it's like sovereign Israel. There's nothing wrong with what's going on there. It's an, it's an everyday normal situation. And the other is what we call estrangement. Yes. My co-author and I, Dalia Gavrieli Nuri, we call estrangement, which basically means ignoring the situation, pretending mm -hmm. like it's mm -hmm. far away from who we are. And this is actually what the center left is doing to a large extent, focusing on issues of religion and state, focusing on issues of religious coercion, focusing on social issues, yeah. but pretending like this situation in the West Bank almost doesn't exist. Right. So let me let me ask you this. You know, for years now, Netanyahu included, been saying that um, that peace between Israelis and the Palestinians would have to be in the context of Israeli-Arab peace. Yeah. Now we have seen in the last couple of years significant change in the attitude of the Arab states, specifically the Gulf, Saudi Arabia, and others, in their relations with Israel. And they have made it abundantly clear to the Israelis, if you, you know, settle the conflict with the Palestinians, we prepare not to recognize Israel. I mean, this has been echoed time and again, including as recently as three, four weeks ago in Bahrain. Yeah. Now, uh, Netanyahu has been saying this all along. It's got to be in the context of, of, of a comprehensive Arab-Israeli a peace, and then we can deal with the Palestinian issue. And now this opportunity presents itself. Is there any leader in Israel other than you know, Netanyahu? Obviously, is not not interested in that. He's been saying this, but now that he could conceivably uh, materialize that, he's absolutely not interested because he doesn't want to see a Palestinian state. No one else is picking up on this. It is a change in the Arab attitude toward Israel specifically the Sunni Arab state, which is the majority. And that's an, perhaps an historic opportunity to make that, to, to reach for that kind of breakthrough, which has not presented itself until recently, until two, two, three years ago, because of the Iranian threat, obviously. So why is it, from your, as you see it, not a single Israeli politician is seeing it, you know, now we have an historic opportunity, perhaps, because of the changing political dynamics in the region, because of the common enemy, which is Iran. Now Israel is the closest it's been with the Arab states. Aren't they going to miss historic opportunity again? Um, I think that a lot of Israeli politicians actually have been talking about this historic opportunity. Maybe it's, maybe we haven't been hearing it so much recently in the current campaign or the previous campaign, which was just a few months ago, but Several of the centrists, even people like Yair Lapid, have been talking about the importance of a of a regional uh, peace 
framework. Uh, Ehud Barak has definitely talked about it. Um, at our center, at the Strategic Dialogue Center, we've done quite a bit of work on this, basing it. I know you've done, Alon, you've done work with the Arab Peace Initiative, mm -hmm. which is not just the last few years. This is 2002, Going good right? Too, of course, of course, of course. Um, so it's been on the table for a long time. It hasn't been, I think, well marketed in Israel because most Israelis just don't know it exists. This Arab Peace Initiative, which promises normalization with 22 Arab states and even possibly 57 Islamic states. I mean, this is exactly the point. In 2002, the Arab Peace Initiative was very clear along the line of what we just said. The Arab states said we will be willing to recognize Israel yeah. once there is a solution to the, yeah. to the conflict with the Palestinians. But why is it, if you do not raise this issue in a campaign, in a political campaign now, and you, you know, present it as a part of your political agenda, when do you do that? And why is they are terrified of talking about it. I think they are terrified, not just want to avoid it. They don't want to touch it. They don't know, they are not using the words two-state solution. Yeah, I know. People like Benny Gantz, for example, doesn't say those words clearly. Yeah. He says something vague about, he has some kind of vague talking points yeah. about uh, moving forward with the Palestinians, but he, he doesn't even say two-state solution. And his real opinions, I think, are close to two-state solution. He worked on Benny Gantz when he was the chief of staff. Yeah. When Obama was president, he worked on the security plan with General John Allen. Yes. Which would yes. basically allow the IDF yeah. to pull out of right. most of the West right. Bank and to create various security mechanisms. And this is his work, so he's very aware of the issues. Um, I think that... This is an example of how the how the right wing in Israel has has succeeded in in dictating the the frame of the discourse. In that, if you even if you talk about this opportunity, you talk about the Arab Peace Initiative, immediately someone is going to attack you, and they'll say, "Well, the Arab Peace Initiative talks about uh, dividing Jerusalem, or it makes reference to yeah, but UN resolution." Thing, but they, they left a lot of room for negotiation. Right. I mean, I mean it's nevertheless, uh, even even uh, U.S. Uh, Trump recognition of Jerusalem left a little room. If you read the documents yeah. carefully, the, the ultimate eventual border in Jerusalem itself will be determined by the by both parties. Right. So right. there is an opening there, yeah, yeah. and and if they don't raise these issues now. Uh, obviously, I th you are absolutely right. I think the right has, is dominating the, the, the narrative as far as that's concerned. They're terrified of talking about two-state solution, fearing that they will be losing votes. Exactly. So because there is a movement, obviously, from the, to the right of center. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you rectify that? What do you do? Well, I would, I, one of my... I mean, bec only because the Palestinian problem is not going to disappear. This is a yeah, fact of life. We have no to, to address it. Yeah. So where, where do you go I, with that? In my mind, a big mistake of Israeli politicians, not just right now, but really since maybe over the last at least 10 years, is this, this attempt for people who I think in their hearts have believe in the need for a two-state solution based on the well-known parameters, whether it's the Clinton parameters or the mm -hmm. Arab Peace Initiative, that they, they try to be as centrist as they can and they try to be as vague as they can. And I think that there's this idea, people like Yair Lapid and, and Benny Gantz, that they'll be able to get a few more Knesset seats 
if they blur their messages. However, what they're doing at the same time is giving up their agenda. And they're, they're making anyone who's not right-wing, in the, in the sense of the approach with the Palestinians, uh, very unsure of themselves and very unsure of where That's their the positions point. stand. And I, exactly. I, I'm not, I've done research on this. My doctorate is about vague messages and yeah. about trying to yeah. speak to different yeah. audiences yeah. at different times. And I think that these kinds of messages are really problematic. It's a counterproductive in the yeah. final analysis. In terms of strategic thinking, yes, it's very I, problematic. Yeah. Um, and it's been, I mean, even uh, back at my, in my doctorate, I did some work on the period of Oslo. And even during that period, uh -huh. Rabin and Paris were giving very, very vague, contradictory messages, especially when speaking to domestic audiences about where this was all leading. Yeah. Right. So that we don't make the public too scared. You, you think, you think that uh, the, the Barack factor now, that he was clear saying we will need to define borders. Yeah. Would that be a test to test the public opinion in Israel? Would that provide yeah, I mean, some, it's, some it's, signals as it, to it where... Does, yeah, it, it, it does something significant because it's someone who, who has this kind of like... He, he has the leadership quality, Ehud Barak, right? He's done everything. He's the most decorated soldier. He was a failed prime minister, though, in some ways. He didn't yeah, succeed. Right. In, I mean, he did succeed in pulling out of Lebanon and maybe in a few other things, but... Uh, he was a prime minister for a short amount of time, but he has that leadership quality to mm -hmm. him. Uh, and if by making these more pointed, clear messages, he's able to draw, draw a significant public, and he's basically not afraid of, of saying more clear left-wing messages, if we see that he gets, I don't know, somewhere between five to ten seats, then maybe that means something. I, I think, I mean, uh, I'd like to hear what you, what your um, uh, thoughts on this. I think more important, as I see it, more important than getting seats in the parliament or for him being the prime minister, what he's trying to do, maybe that is not his thinking, interject a new dynamic into yeah. the political campaign, yeah. into the conflict, and say, look, let's not forget what we can eventually, we must face. Yeah. Let's not forget that fact. And so, exactly because he has little to, to, to lose. Yeah. But he's able to revive that discussion publicly and still get some vote. It suggests maybe there is some opening to be pursued. Do you what, see it that way? Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think one thing to take into account is Barack's main message is we need to fight for the name of his party also yeah. is democratic, democratic Israel. Yeah. We need to fight for democracy. So it's not necessarily we need to fight for peace. It's we need to ensure that Israel is a democracy in the future, which means separating from the Palestinians. Exactly, right? because otherwise Israel is moving clearly toward um, an apartheid state as far as I can see. I mean, uh, what else is going to happen? If you have two separate laws, one for the Israelis and one for the Palestinians, civil rights are denied by and large to the Palestinians, specifically in the West Bank and, of course, in Gaza, then it's a dead end. And if the current situation continues with the settlements, you're creating more and more facts on the ground. It's very difficult to reverse some of these facts. Yeah. And then God help us with the Trump giving green light <laughs> to a specialist in Netanyahu. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, I think I see, I see Trump as a major problem for Israel. And as long as he continues to enable the Israelis. Do you, do you see it that way? I think that 
one of the one of the important roles that the United States has had historically is first of all we've known that America has our back right America United States in some ways saved us in 1973 uh, and we're strategic partners with the United States but also America has to be viewed as some kind of an honest broker those two have to go hand in hand and if the second one is lost which is but, it has, the, but, but the truth is, the United States is never an honest broker, not from day one. You can go back 30, 40 years, from 1967. United States was never an honest broker. Okay. Israel, the support for Israel was almost unequivocal throughout all kind of things. Okay. A little less, a little more. Obama put some pressure here and there. But ultimately, he ended up giving Israel or committing 38, uh, $40 billion for right. 10 years. So you don't have, so I think uh, the, and the enablement, that is the, as long as the United States continues to enable yeah. Israel, there is no incentive by the Israelis to take, a, to make a real move. Yeah, there's no, I mean, I, Netanyahu acted quite differently when Obama was, prime, was president versus Trump, right? I mean, he was, Netanyahu was careful when Obama. Was, was, was more, far more careful, yeah. which basically it means, as I see, the United States, what the Trump is doing is really to Israel's detriment the long term. Yeah, I mean, if we look at it strategically in terms of what Israel's long-term interests are, then I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, emotionally, I was happy when the, with the embassy being moved because it meant something to me. But I knew it was very problematic, and I knew that it would probably mean the Palestinians are not going to want to come to the negotiating table. It seems like, I mean, on one hand, the thing with the Trump administration, well, there are many issues with the Trump administration, <laughs> but on one hand, they seem, at least with David Friedman, I mean, they seem very much catering to the uh, kind of pro-settler agenda in Israel. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's just this extreme amateurism. Jared Kushner and the Bahrain conference with all of these projects. I mean, America has a lot of experience dealing oh, with man. these issues. Yeah, that was a and setback. Kushner <laughs> should probably try to learn something. There have been a lot of mega projects that have been post, uh, uh, proposed in the past, and they usually haven't worked. The, you he need a professional be, team. He may be good to selling an apartment, but yeah. certainly not as I mean, there are a lot of diplomats with years of experience. I would hope that if, if Kushner and, and, Jared and, and Greenblatt had been working on this for about two years, if I'm not mistaken, I would have hoped they would have learned something. No, not really, but you know, well, the fact that they are Jews themselves, uh, so committed to Israel in so many different ways. And then you have an American ambassador who is extremely committed to Israel. And if you are an Arab and Palestinian, are you going to sit and you have these two Sitting, trying to yeah. mediate between the two. Wait, no, I know. That's what I, mean, I said. I mean, it's you, a dead. It's a dead end. You argue that America has never <laughs> been an honest broker, but I think that at least you know Anwar Sadat would come to the table yeah. when Jimmy Carter was there. He viewed him as, and you know Arafat would come to the table with with Clinton yeah. and so forth. But the Palestinians are not interested in yeah, coming to the yeah, table yeah. anymore yeah. with with because Trump. of Trump. Because yeah, of because Trump. of Trump. Uh, yeah. So so. Five years forward, where do we where where do you think we find ourselves? I I tend to be an optimist. <laughs> we both optimists. Okay. You know that. <laughs> so, but a hesitant optimist, a hesitant optimist. And in my mind, 
um, there's there is quite a bit of we could call it gray area between with respect to the Palestinian issue between the status quo and a final status solution now I don't think that even because of all of the disappointments of the past and because of maybe the, the what Abu Mazen's status is and divide between Hamas and Fatah uh, and various other reasons, I'm not sure that we can reach a final status agreement even if Netanyahu is not prime minister. But I do think there can, there, and there is a lot of work in academia being done, mm -hmm. us included at the Strategic Dialogue Center, various things that can be done to create a two-state reality mm -hmm. that maybe don't solve all the issues. I'm not sure if anyone right now can solve the Jerusalem issue, the refugee issue, or even determine exactly what the final border will be. But I think that there can be a Palestinian state and they can have a lot more aspects of sovereignty. Uh, and I even think that uh, an Israeli center-right leader could do that. Mm -hmm. A pragmatic centrist or center-right person, even from Likud maybe, or Benny mm -hmm. Gantz or someone like this. So I think that is possible in the next few years. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, we'll see what happens in 2020 yeah, in the United yeah, States yeah, in terms of yeah. that could change things drastically. Right. But, but with that change, if there's going to be a change, it may very well be with a change of political leadership here. I mean, I feel very strongly that as long as Abbas and Netanyahu are in power, very little is going to happen. Yeah, I agree with Neither that. Neither of them is going to make any significant concession yeah. to have there's serious a process. Yeah. Uh, but something I've been advocating that uh, what we are going to need is a different kind of process to 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 precede any serious talk about two-state two solution or a final resolution. That is process of reconciliation. That is today there's zero trust between the two sides. Yeah, zero trust. There's no confidence. Yeah. So you have to build that trust, and you cannot build trust at the negotiating yeah. table. So you're going to need that kind of process. And the process whereby more people to people yeah. in all fields of life, from sport to art yeah. to, to labor agree. to everything. And then, to some extent, government to the government. Of yeah. course, there is already s significant security cooperation between yeah. the two sides. That process shouldn't, you know, I was hoping, I was hoping that if they are not talking about two-state solution today, these current people running, at least they can speak about we need to begin a process of reconciliation yeah. between the two sides. And I don't hear that either, yeah. which in my view is a, it's absolutely prerequisite before you can sit down at the negotiating table and make a serious concession. I, I completely agree with you. I think that on this, I mean, it's very complicated because the Palestinians view us as the occupying force and so forth. And there, it is, as someone who works in civil society in an academic think tank, I can say that it's extremely difficult to engage in people-to-people -people work, dialogue, programs, research right now because of the anti-normalization movement and the fact that uh, an a Palestinian university cannot cooperate with Netanyahu Academic College 
because of the academic boycott. And if one of their faculty members decides to cooperate, he's under the threat of being fired. Mohammed Dajani, yeah. for example. But the point, you know, you are and, right. And also, on the, uh, we had this thing just a few months ago where uh, some Israeli settlers went to a Palestinian wedding. And the, he was a, uh, a member of, and he was, he was fired from his position yeah. for allowing yeah. Jewish settlers to come. Yeah. So I'm, it's really difficult. They, no, I agree with I you. Mean, people I to think people it, is very important. I think I agree with you 100% it's difficult. But the, on the other hand, if it is a prerequisite, then you've got to start someplace. Yeah, and there are some some groups. I mean, it's on a smaller scale yeah. in Israel. They're trying to do that. Yeah. What I'm saying is, as a center in this case, or any other center, or some those who dare, you know, politicians, yeah. if they start to speak about it and also tell basically the message to the Palestinians will be: Look, we want peace. We want to sit down, but we yeah. cannot negotiate. You know. What happened in the Second Intifada destroy much of the trust, you know, of the Israelis with you. So we need to have that kind of process. I think you need to change the narrative. Yeah. And I don't see a change of narrative yeah. to to begin to change minds. Yeah. And that's also missing. Yeah. So not to speak of let's just sit down people to people, but you've got to start with yeah. talking about it. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I mean, the, you don't hear. A new narrative of let's try to reconcile between the nations, between the peoples, uh, and that could have an impact in terms of how it would prepare the. the, the, the I mean, putting it in the context of the inevitability, what is the inevitability of Israeli-Palestinian coexistence? It's not a choice. It's stuck. Do you think it's inevitable? The inevitability of coexistence. It's inevitable that it's, we'll both be living here. Yeah, nobody can chase the other yeah. out of it. It's inevitable that, that we'll both it. be living here. So that in the context of the inability of coexistence, right. where where do you go from right. here? And then the, the, the need for changing the narrative becomes extremely important. Yeah. And then you can move into people to people and eventually yeah. government to government. Yeah. I, th I think this is what is missing in the political yeah. discourse today in Israel. Unfortunately, I mean, one of the, one of the great successes of, uh, of, of the, the right wing in Israel is, is that people don't, people are unaware of Palestinians existing to a large extent. I mean, it's not just the right wing, but the fact that Palestinians don't work in Israel as much as they used to. In the 1980s, there were many Palestinians working in Israel. The, the situation in the West Bank is basically hidden from most Israelis. So most people, you know, people I live with, the people in my neighborhood, the, the parents of my kids' friends who are not dealing with these issues, it's just not on their radar. They don't think about, oh, what about the Palestinians? It's just, it's not important to them. Is this in this uh, wishful thinking as if it, there are no Palestinians, everything yeah, it's is wish, wonderful? Of course it's wishful thinking. It's a wishful thinking, but it's yeah. going to come back to haunt the Israelis in one form or another. Yeah. I mean, it's only a question of when. Yeah. Not if, because they are there, they yeah, exist, and they, they are not going to go anywhere. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you, but it's one of the successes of, I'm not sure exactly who, but uh, uh, of this at least short-term ability to pretend the problem doesn't exist, and that we can be a I, Western democracy uh, and still have this 
situation. But Barack, Barack, I wish Barack start talking in those terms as well. Is he talking? Yeah. He's not. I didn't hear. I mean, he's talking about is a democracy by implication. It's got to be separation. It's got to be two states. That's by implication. But he's also not addressing the issue. How? What is the roadmap? You see, yeah. what I'm suggesting is a roadmap. Yeah. You need a roadmap to get to point from point A to point yeah. B. And none of the politicians yeah, today right, is not. established. Here's the roadmap. Let's not talk about tomorrow two-state solution. Let's talk about how we get there. Yeah, I think that unfortunately these are these are these kinds of things have 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 been done, but people are tired of hearing it. I'm sorry to say. I mean, it's not working in terms what, of what has been done trying to speak about a, a roadmap towards peace i mean this these are messages that were that were utilized no, i'm being a little more specific in terms of roadmap here here is what we do yeah step by step you know we get more people we get uh, palestinian to come and see how the israelis live in tel aviv yeah bring a groups of people from you know, women to women yeah. yeah get the women engaged in this kind of dialogue yeah uh, i mean they come here, they are shocked to yeah. see what they see. Israelis should be able to go and to be in the West Bank, to yeah. go to Ramallah, to go to Jenin, right. to see how the Palestinians... So they have to see each other as a human being rather yeah. than a terrorist sure. and a soldier. You're right. One of, the, one of the easiest ways to keep a conflict going for years is, yeah. is to basically dehumanize the other side. Exactly. And the easiest way to do yeah. that is just to yeah. not see them, right? Just to see them on, only in media or only... Hateful who, who do you blame that? And I like that because this is really important. That is, who is the party? Who do you blame for this kind of uh, environment that is basically is destroying the prospect of, of a peace of a peace agreement, well, even in five or ten or fifteen it's years? It's too it's too simplistic to cast blame on either side. Exclusively. No, no, it's not a question of simplicity. I'm talking about there are elements, political body politics in Israel, who's basically want to ignore this yeah uh, um, it's in the left it's in the center yeah, it's in the right of center yeah it's it's in the left and the right yeah. pretending the issue doesn't because now we have this issue of democracy that this sort of flag that the, the the center or left has has taken upon itself in this election is much more within the context of religion and state issues rather than Palestinian and even a Vigdor Lieberman who's he talks about a liberal, normal Israel. Yeah, yeah. That's He's a liberal. Again, normal, you know, normal, yeah, normal. I mean, we have to go back to normalize Israel. Right. So it's, <laughs> it's. I would it's, like to ask him what is what is what is Israel as a normal state? What is normal yeah, for Israel? <laughs> that's a good question. But I mean, we have to. We also can't forget that. I mean, a lot of these, the fact that Israelis, many Israelis, let's say not ideological Israelis, but more centrist Israelis, are not perceptive to these kinds of narratives is because of the Gaza experience. We yeah. can't forget that. I mean, every once in a while we have, you know, I live in the South and I've had to take my kids to the bomb shelters and it's, you know, it's, it's not what we expected after the disengagement. Uh, and this experience of this very difficult security situation in a very significant part of Israel in the south, in in the western Negev, um, is very is a tough. It's a tough argument to make regarding the West Bank because we think, well, Hamas could just take power there, and then we would have missiles uh, on Netanya, on Kfar Saba, on Tel Aviv. 
it's a it's a tricky issue. It is tricky. Yeah, I mean, I, we've been floating the idea um, working with Hamas. After all, we have no Israel has no territorial ambition in yeah. Gaza. Yeah, Hamas for all intents and purposes <laughs> is running a state yeah. of sort. Yeah. Uh, why not encourage them? Encourage Hamas to continue state building as a state. Leave, leave, leave the West Bank alone and, and um, begin that kind of, of approach. That is, Hamas would like to lead the Palestinian as people. Yeah. Well, if you want to lead, let us start establishing a, building, a state building in Gaza. And, and Israel will be encouraging Hamas in that direction. Yeah. I mean, don't you think Hamas really recognize that Israel is not going to go anywhere? There, there have been some pra pra more yeah. pragmatic voices in Hamas about, I mean, yeah. because they have a, a religious perspective rather yeah. than a secular political yeah. perspective, they, the idea of a final peace agreement that, they, that Hamas signs on is likely impossible. But more creative approaches are possible, like a 30-year renewable Hudna yeah. and something yeah. that allows the Palestinian Authority to to yeah. sign on a peace agreement. I mean, there are definitely creative yeah. possibilities. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, the Hudna in a long-term Hudna, I think yeah. it's a means by which, you know, after 30 years, they have a state, they have mm. buildings, and they have economy, and they have everything they need. They do not want to provoke Israel, only to come back and level the entire area again. I think it's just very difficult, though, because every time, like right now with what's going on in Gaza, every few weeks, if yeah. they don't feel like the humanitarian aid is coming the way it should, there's yeah. a new set of missiles right. being launched, yeah. or, and it just it ruins the confidence. And, that, and I agree in that respect. They are they are their own worst uh, worst enemy. There's no no question. I mean, they are adding constantly fuel to the fire and uh, and cutting. How was the saying goes? Nose, nose to to spite their face. Yeah, <laughs> Israel would I think have a, a much easier situation if. The Palestinians yeah. could get their house yeah. in order a little yeah. bit in terms yeah. of having one, one voice. <laughs> that yeah. this is our because Israel is in a problem that if we strengthen Hamas, then what does that mean for Fatah, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's very. But also Netanyahu was about divide and conquer was his uh, yeah, policy his, all along. For sure. Any time they talk about unity government, he say I will not negotiate with really you as long as Hamas is part of I this know. government. He, he can he, he's very versatile he, he said before that we can't make peace because they're divided but he also says we can't make peace when they're unified exactly so, but I think that you know for those who want to reach peace we know that Hamas has to I mean a unified Palestinian yeah, authority would yeah, be in the interest yeah. of peace I believe but perhaps in, in, in through a process not like they've got yeah. to get together before you can start negotiating yeah no no I don't think yeah. it's an uh, yeah. an a condition. Yeah, it should it not be conditional. Make, make yeah. life easier. Well, I'm so happy we solved the Israeli Palestinian <laughs> conflict. <laughs> yeah, well, it's. To be continued. To be continued. This is. Thank you very much. Uh, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Some interesting ideas. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.